0: In SCC one face one, in the binninging, in the in the bini in the binninging, yeah, in the in uh, in the listen properly in in the binninging yeah in 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 the binninging. All right, guys, and uh, welcome to our second. Uh, Podcast to challenging the traditions of men. We've made a lot of improvements. We were able to battle through some of the first struggling points that we've had to with uh, better communication, better recording, better audio sound. So I think we've tackled a bit of that and we're able now to dig into the discussions without those kind of distractions. Uh, can uh, now keeping that into uh, the context of our last conversation. We're going to be continuing forward We did talk about and open the can of worms talking about are there humans or are there not humans before Adam? and What does the Bible say about this? And for a quick refresher what we did was we looked at Genesis chapter 5 and we saw that the language of the genealogy of Adam has a lot of red flags that Go against the common teaching, which is human that all humans began with Adam and then through Adam and Eve. If you have not, at this point, I'm just going to put out this reminder. If you have not watched or listened to the first episode, um, and forgive us for some of the audio difficulties as we got through that first episode, but do listen to it because the content in it will absolutely set up what we're about to talk about. And if you haven't, what we're about to talk about, might seem a little bit confusing. So if you haven't listened to it, I'd highly recommend going and listening to part one. Now, just like the last episode, and uh, gathered here together a fine group of gentlemen. I again have with me Steve, who after, you know, spending his life, you know, little born and raised in Christianity in the church system, had a kind of a normal life where he didn't really pursue or do the things of the church, but later in life has now come back and is taking a very serious look at these things. Then we're also joined by Tom, who has gone through a lot of Christian schooling, and he went through uh, becoming a Master's of Divinity graduate. And we also are joined by Nick, who is a public debater and a worship leader. And uh, joining the panel today for the first time is going to be uh, Leith, who is... uh, Very much like in that same position, Steve, who was born and raised, but when he was younger, he did put a lot of time and energy and effort into these things, but drifted away. And now it's recently again, come back and really taking a a serious look at these issues and concerns. So it's great because uh, the more views we have, the more ways we can look at these things. And if we can find something that doesn't smell right, you know, more minds are better at this. So just want to give a welcome to everybody and a quick, how's everybody doing? Yeah, doing not everybody well. all at once. <laughs> <laughs> right on. This is a podcast. We're not going to make it formal or whatever, guys. So I'm glad you're here with us. Glad to be here. All right. Cool. So oh, let's Mike, get to this, guys. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. What, what I think I'm gonna do is we'll go slowly, and we're gonna go point by point because. This is something we're all very familiar with. And as we learned last episode when we were, we were chatting, that we do seem to skip and skim over a lot of things that are actually pretty heavy. You know, like we can't just do that. So let's get going with Genesis 4. And instead of, you know, spending our time talking about this, that and the other, let's just go step by step and see what it says and then uh, put these critical questions uh, towards it. So we're going to, obviously, you know, there's Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we've got up to here. We're all pretty familiar with the general theme of the story up to this point with Adam and Eve now being banished, kicked out, exiled from the garden, and uh, being moved to the east of Eden, to outside of the east of Eden. And now we're in this situation where Adam and Eve, and we go into four one. it goes, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Okay, so now this is very important information they're giving us here. So Genesis four one. Now the man had relations with his wife, even they begot Cain. So Cain is the firstborn. Well, this is very, very important because of what we read last time in Genesis 5, that whole list of the firstborns, that list of descendancy, well, Cain wasn't listed in it. And as we continue on, we see the secondborn, Abel, was also not listed in it. Now, what's interesting about this is in verse 2, it says, and again, she gave birth, or rather, verse 1, talking about Cain being the firstborn, but in verse 2, it describes him saying, That Cain was a tiller of the ground well that's a very interesting statement why is that being talked about why is that being identified well it's very interesting because that's exactly the language used to describe Adam and his job as God made him a tiller of the ground and so we have this picture of the kingdom and the succession and the firstborn And we have this family being drawn out for us. We have Adam and Eve. We have the firstborn following in the footsteps of their father. Then after that, what do we get? We get the second child, Abel, who's born. (coughs) And he is a keeper of the flocks. So now we just have this story coming upon us. And it came about in the course, verse 3, that uh, of time that Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought his offering. We're going to kind of skim down a little bit. And then we get to uh the unfortunate incident where Cain has now become uh, angered, that his countenance has been broken, they call it his countenance has fallen, and God basically has this conversation with Adam where, or with Cain, rather, where Cain isn't coming out of this conversation in a really good mood and in a good position. In fact, he's quite angry, and he, he's off. So now he comes into contact with his brother, Abel. Uh, Verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. I'm just going to stop there because this has given us a nice narrative of the picture of the family of Adam. Adam and Eve. Adam has Cain, the firstborn, teaches him his ways, the same ways as Adam has a second child abel so we have the picture of the family of adam adam eve cain and abel now we also have the situation though where cain has become angry and then he is now in this position where this anger has manifested and Cain to the point where he rose up and he has now killed his younger brother abel so we're at a position of adam eve who had two sons and the successor killed the younger son." Now at this point, we're not really looking at arguing for humans or not humans before Adam, but that narrative is very important. I don't think it's confusing and I don't think uh, it's hard to understand. Uh, So I'm going to open the door here because if we uh, can gather this together and then move forward into the kind of tough language that's used. Uh, It'd be good to have this agreement and foundation. So I'm just putting that forward that the basic narrative from uh, Genesis 4.1 to 4.8 is Adam and Eve having two children, the inheritor successor, Cain, the oldest firstborn son, who ended up killing his younger son. And that sets up the situation we're about to read. Does anybody have any comments or uh, questions about this?
1: Hey Dallas, uh, yeah, I can make a quick comment. Um, as you were talking about, kind of Cain is uh, similar to his father um, and his successor, as he's a tiller of the ground. It's it's also interesting to me that Abel is kind of over the flocks, right, and the livestock, and but Adam at the same time. When he was in the garden, God gave him the job of actually naming the animals. So actually the two sons are kind of, I guess they're kind of interrelated there with their father. You know?
0: That's an interesting point uh, to ponder. When I see uh, the reference to Cain being uh, the tiller of the, sh- of the animals here, so when we read about Abel, his description is he's a keeper of flocks. What's neat about that is I also go back to G- Genesis 3 when it's talking to Cain, and he, he's talking to him and considering the what was going on and, and this and that. The problem was the sin caused death. And so the response God had to that was, I will make you a animal covering. So there was this sacrifice of animals that took place to cover up that that separation that guilt transgression and so when we move forward into genesis 4 we now have two pictures we have the picture of the guy who's tilling the ground working the soil being lawful and dutiful trying to gain god's approval through the working out of the law agreement then we have abel who's having faith in the blood atonement. So I find that to be where my mind kind of goes with that. So depending on where you're at, I think it was an interesting comment by Tom. That's my two cents on the subject. Then before we move on, uh, see if anybody else has any any comments to those things.
1: Yeah, I have one comment. It's just
2: interesting um, to think about. Being an older brother, the inheritance or, or the next uh, succession, and you have this uh, younger who who was regard or whose sacrifice was regarded. Is that the word regarded? Um, it kind of reminds me of it's almost like a, a foreshadow of what was to what was to come. As far as when you have old ways or old the first. Covenant people um, Cain representing the first covenant people and Abel maybe possibly re- referring to the prophets or something like that, because the old covenant people
0: killed the prophets. That's all I could think of. That's an interesting uh, idea, because when we move forward, we take that picture of uh, we have the first son, the eldest son, the deserving of the inheritance who doesn't get it. And we move on to the younger son who does get it. Well, that theme, interestingly enough, transgress trans not transgresses, but transcends the entire Bible. And from start to finish, we see the younger brother taking from the older brother. And that theme is with all the patriarchs all the way through. So it's a very interesting picture because here we have right. At the very beginning, the younger brother who was in the better position than the older. So definitely a lot of cool symbolism in there. So uh, we're going to move on then. Uh, We got a lot of interesting ideas coming out of that narrative, that picture. And so now this is where some of this language we're going to find is uh, very interesting. So again, we have agreed that in Genesis 5, it was established that, and I'm just going to read it as a reminder, that when we read Genesis 5, we have Adam, and then it says, Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and then he had other sons and daughters. So it wasn't until after Seth other sons and daughters have happened. So let's keep reading here in that mind. Let's bring that conclusion forward that at this point, because Seth hasn't been born yet, There isn't any other sons or daughters from Adam and Eve. All right, let's keep going. Genesis four nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now this is interesting. So now Cain is confronted with his transgression and this is the language that's used to describe it. You are now you are cursed from the ground. Well that's exactly what was the description given to Adam his father in the same manner in which he became cursed. He says in Genesis 3 uh, where are we going it goes cursed is the ground because of you. So Genesis 3:17. Uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And here we have Abel, and what does God say? What have you done? Your the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground. So we have the exact same situation with Adam playing out in Cain as far as curse following being a worker of that covenantal soil system. And now as a result of that, in verse 12, we read, When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So that's a pretty interesting picture. So here we have a pretty heavy situation. Adam and Eve have two children. The one child goes away of his father in his footsteps and another child goes in the way of the, of being a, a herder of, of animals. And as a result of a, a conflict between Cain and God, Cain's anger rose up and he afflicted and killed his brother. And as a result, now God has come down and uh, addressed this egregious event and tells Cain that as a result of that, he is now cursed and has been banished from the grounds. And this is uh, the response Cain gives. This is exact. So we're in the midst of this heated moment, Adam and Eve, no other children, no other sons or daughters, according to Genesis five. Cain kills Abel. The only humans, according to the Adam and Eve, are the only humans' position. The only humans on the earth at this point are Adam, Eve, and Cain. Because Seth hasn't been born yet, so Adam and Eve have not had other children yet. So let's read Cain's response to the situation. Cain says, as a result, so God says, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me, will kill me so i'm going to stop reading there because that's a huge event that just took place because we have adam and eve who have cain and abel cain kills abel therefore it's just adam eve and cain seth hasn't been born yet so there's no other children yet so why was cain's response Whoever finds me will kill me. Now, also notice the immediacy. So he wasn't saying someday down the road when other people are around, I might become in danger. No, he says, whoever finds me. Now, what's interesting is he's been driven from the ground. He's been kicked off. He has been exiled. He's been driven away from that place. He's no longer in that, that tribal ground that that city gates he's been kicked out so he's not afraid of the people that he's with adam and eve he's kicked out of that and it says whoever finds me out there where behold you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and i will be a vagrant and a wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me so adam and eve are outside of the Garden of Eden, banished. Cain is banished from them and is afraid of another people groups. So there's my little summary of kind of what we read between uh, now uh, Genesis 4, 1 through 14. So I'm going to ask you guys, who is this that Cain is afraid of? I'm just going to poke out here. Uh, Tom jumped up last time first, so let's pick on you again. Uh, any comments towards who these people are that Kane is now afraid of?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, my, my response would be that, obviously, there are other people groups and other names um, that it, this.
0: Uh, hey Tom, uh, you're cutting in and out there with your uh, internet. So if I don't know if uh, you want to try that again.
1: Yeah, um, as you know, Dallas, I'm, I'm traveling. So uh, if, if y'all lose me, just just cut to somebody else. But um, yeah. I was no worries. Just, just give her
0: another go, and we'll see how it works out. <laughs>
1: All right. Am I still there? Are you still out of here?
0: Yeah. Give it a go. If uh, you cut up, uh, I'll let you know.
1: Yeah. And so I was saying, that, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, the other thing I was thinking of too. That is just uh it's oh, like Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Uh, Cain has now committed an separation from God. So anytime that you have a separation from God, I think that brings about fear. So again, as far as the specifics of who he might be afraid of, I, I would think there's other people, groups, and nations, but... Um, that, that's kind of my two cents on it you know whenever whenever transgressions take place or you're outside of the presence of god that's when you're gonna uh, find and feel uh fear so that that's how i see it
0: Right on. I'll uh, jump over here on the next down. So that will be in Clockwise. Uh, Leith, if, do you have any uh, comments on to when Cain says, whoever finds me will kill me. Who are these people that Cain is immediately afraid of to where he's going to be uh, booted to?
2: Yeah, so my take on it, um, just to refer back to what I was taught when I was younger and um, asking people, who is, who are these people? Um, It seems like the the common answer was, well, you know, brothers and sisters uh, of, you know, but, you know, we've already established um, last week in Genesis 5 that that wording isn't showing us that any children were born um, um, during Cain and Abel's lifetime. Um, The only thing that comes to my mind, Dallas, is that let's just say that there were a bunch of kids let's just say that there were uh, adam and eve even had more kids let's say that even cain and abel had kids before cain killed abel i'm seeing the adamic family all being together yes they're not in the garden but they're in eden that whole family would be dwelling within eden cain commits murder and gets kicked out that means, and if Cain finds his wife in another land, that means the whole family would have been banished. Even if everybody, even if there was generations of kid, children and families and, and the, the whole family line is growing. That's the only thing I can't think of. They, they would all have to be banished along with Cain. And the, the, those people that were banished along with Cain would be the one that Cain would have been afraid of.
0: Yeah, the issue that I have with that position is we're assuming that the Bible telling us. um, So when we assume the Bible, if we assume that other people were born at that time by Adam and Eve, we're going against, like you had brought up in Genesis 5, where it clearly says that it went Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, as we have discovered. And then as we keep reading, then comes Seth then he has other children as the bible is establishing the hereditary order so that would be my concern with that position is we're actually going to supposition we are now including things that the bible doesn't suggest so that would be my issue uh, with that position is i just don't think that it's biblical and i do understand and agree that that's what i was raised with that was the common idea which was well there were there are other children, you know, the family like, I totally get that position. I just don't think that uh, in light of Genesis five, we can say that that has biblical foundation, and that's where I've transitioned away from. so I'm glad you brought that up uh, now, uh, Steve, did you have any comments concerning who you believe when we're taking like or any comments, any ideas even on who these people, whoever this whoever is that Cain is afraid of?
3: Uh, Yeah, because, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, kind of relating it to these days is the same thing. I I think if I fought, well, I don't have a brother, but if I fought with a brother or a sister or whoever, why would I ever kill him? Because we all fight with our siblings, but you take it a step further when you actually kill them. So where did Cain get this idea? And I just think, oh, he must have saw these other people and they or he knew that they are more savages or, you know, don't think like maybe adam and Eve and them think and so that's why he knew that hey if i go out here with these guys that's where i learned to murder they're just gonna murder me too that's why his first thought wasn't hey if you banish me these people are gonna rob and steal me and or steal stuff from me or what you know steal all my stuff his thought was hey if you let me out here they're gonna kill me so obviously these other people are you know relating it to now it's like yeah like hey if i hang around with know some of the stuff going on in the world right now they're gonna kill me too they're you know inject me with something or you know lead you down the wrong road or whatever i i see that same similar path happening you know it's kind of like huh never really thought of it but that's how i see it
0: yeah so we can definitely see right there would be that intrepidation that separation between uh you know a mind groups right that's definitely a A Different worldview clash. I think that's a very interesting point. I've never considered that I Do want to put uh, this for us before we move forward is When we read in the NASB and uh, your comment there made me think of this where it says and I will so verse 14 Behold you have driven me uh, This day from the face of the ground and your from your face I will be hidden and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth now I'm going to read that from the ESV Because when we read that, we get a a different translation of that word, which if you take a look into, it's more accurate. So in the ESV, it says, uh, behold, you have driven me away from the ground uh, and from your face uh, shall I be hidden. Then he says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So instead of it being a vagrant, it's a fugitive and vagrant is a fugitive so it's actually the same word it's just we don't in our context use vagrant today as a fugitive we use vagrant as more of a vagabond or a uh, someone who may be a street person down and out on their luck and not in a good position or you know a junkie living on the streets in a bad state we would consider them vagrants well vagrant is a lawbreaker and that's what we just saw right so when we take a look at this, a fugitive is a lawbreaker. So someone who breaks the law. So that's a very interesting statement. And this is what I'm going to point out because it says, And I will be a vagrant, a fugitive, and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. When we put in fugitive, that's a big word because fugitive means lawbreaker, which means there was a law and a legal system. And it means people would have been able to determine someone's transgressing of it. You can't have a fugitive if you don't have a system in which defines that being a wrong behavior. So this goes back to the comments of, you know, where, you know, maybe where did this build up in him? You know, he's coming from anger. His anger overtook him. He killed him. I don't think that's, you know, an aberration. I think that happens today all the time as well. And when we read this, what's interesting is just like today, and I'm going to take that example that you kind of brought up there, just like today, if somebody loses their anger and kills their brother, we, just like him, he's going to flee. He's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. He's going to be a vagrant. And we who find him will persecute him, punish him, and he might even possibly get the electric chair or, you know, capital punishment. So it's actually very reflective of every society that you pretty much come in contact with. So it's very interesting here because when we look at vagrant and we go into those word studies and compare it straight just to the ESV, we get that fugitive, the law-breaking aspect. So that means there was a law, any people following the law, and that's who Cain was afraid of, a people who were lawful. Very interesting language to me. I forgot to point that out. Thank you very much for your comments as that stirred that in me. So now before we move forward, I'll just open the door if anybody has any comments towards the use of uh, fugitive in verse 14. Seems like everybody's doing some contemplating on that, so uh, we'll move a little bit on. Perfect. We'll go down into verse 15. So the Lord said to Cain, so now here's, this is what's interesting. Cain's response to God after God said, you know, so God's going to, you're cursed and now you're banished. And Cain's response is, whoever finds me is going to kill me. And God, why didn't God say to him, what, are you crazy? There's no other humans here. What are you talking about? There's only Adam and Eve, and they're not going to kill you. Uh, But that's not what he says. What God says is, so the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would kill him. There is so much information in here. So what's very fascinating is, so the Lord said to him, whoever kills Cain, so now God is saying there's a there's groups of people out there, whoever is out there. So God is, con, you know, is God conflating humans where there are none? Of course not. So it's obvious that Adam and Eve, they've had Cain and Abel. Cain's afraid of people outside of their Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel group, and God is talking to Uh, Cain saying, yeah, there are other people inside of this group. Now, what's interesting about that is we take that fugitive concept forward. The fugitive concept means that there was a law of the land, and it was visible to the people living it, and they would uphold it. Verse 15, what's interesting, it says, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold, and the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would kill him. That means these people Now, what's neat about that is this doesn't explain what that sign is, what the mark on Cain is. But the people who saw him would have known it. So the people who were seeking legal retribution on Cain for his transgression of the law know the mark of God. It's very interesting, very interesting, because that means... There are lawful nations and unlawful nations. Really think about that. that, Why do I say nations? Well, when we continue, what does it say? Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Eden is a nation. Why do we know that? Because there's the east of Eden. Well, if there's east of Eden, that means there's a border. There's a dividing line. East of Eden then also tells us there must be a west of Eden. If there's an east and a west, that means there's a north and a south. That means there are political boundaries governing the borders of Eden, and the garden was planted in the eastern part in Eden, and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, but they were still in the kingdom of Eden. Now, Cain is kicked out Of the kingdom of eden and sent into another land So this is a very huge understanding for us because we have adam and eve And adam and eve had cain and abel cain kills abel The only three people however cain is afraid of a lawful group of people who are going to seek retribution for his transgression against that lawful body part of his punishment was to be banished from this body into a different body into a different land cain got a mark from god that this legal group would be able to easily clearly identify so when we come to realize that eden existed it had borders Then a garden was put in that. Then Adam was put in it. Then Adam was kicked out of it, but he was still in Eden. He just was no longer in the garden. Cain was kicked out of the political boundaries of the state of Eden. So that is all in that language to me so i'm going to reread this scripture and then i'm going to get you guys to explain to me why or why not what i'm saying i'm conflating and making up out of the scripture or is this what the words are saying so let me read this again behold you have so this again we're starting at genesis four fourteen. behold you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face i will be hidden and i will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth And whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord uh, pointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What's fascinating is all that information is, in my opinion, given to us in the language describing these events. So I'm going to open the door here and ask if you guys have any comments to these verses here in 14, 15, 16, where we see now Cain being a fugitive, a lawbreaker, and he's fleeing from a group of lawful people who's going to seek retribution for his transgression. He's uh exiled into a different nation outside of the borders of uh eden so any ideas we'll start again let's go around the clock and we'll see oh we're starting with steve at the one o'clock position do you have any comments steve uh
3: just that you know i'm in agreement i mean obviously it's pretty I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that like, yeah, this is a, some kind of a border. There's some kind of a, there's different groups and he was part of one group. And then I was just got my, now I've got all sorts of other questions. So, but yeah, I'm in agreement.
0: If those questions or uh, comments are concerning this, please feel free to share.
3: Well, I, I didn't want to get too off topic, but just, you know, probably go into discord, but I'm just... I was just thinking like this mark or, you know, sign or mark or whatever you want to call it that he put on Cain. I'm like, you know, with the way these these people running the show now uh, recreate the Bible, kind of reverse flip it that, you know, hey, what is this mark that they're going to all put on each other? That's going to make, you know, the people that don't take it, you know, kind of like the opposite effect of this story happening right now. So it's kind of like what is this sign or what is this mark you put on cane? I'd be, is it a symbol? Is it a, like, I wonder what it is. Eye color, what like hair or, you know, just makes me wonder.
0: One thing I would say to that, because that I think is something a lot of people reflect on mm-hmm. and definitely question. And I'm not going to pretend that I have the answer, but what I will do is suggest that it, it's not a literal thing. We have just read, an entire story of the creation of Adam and Eve, all using highly, highly symbolic language used of the Mesopotamian time period. And so when we get down to this idea of him being marked, well, we do read that the children of God under the law in uh, Israel, when they came out of Egypt and were going through uh, the time period of Exodus, That they were given a mark on their forehead and their hand. And what that was talking about was being mindful of the things of God and doing the things of God. And it became actually a legal structure within the Israelite covenant, which we see duplicated in Revelation, talking about those who have the mark on their forehead are sealed by God, being those who are mindful and truthful to the covenant and being. Then their hands are marked. They're dutiful. They do the things of the true covenant, which was to trust in the Messiah when he was sent. So when we get into here and it says that Cain was marked, and I'm not going to say I know what the mark is, but I definitely can say that it's not a literal mark. And it has to do with being identified somehow with your position with God, because the people will know what it is they they will know what it's saying and even though they want to do it it's clear to them that whatever this mark is that they're not allowed to do it so just as when we read revelation the angels were sent and he said do not destroy those with the mark on their foreheads well here we have the same thing he's saying to all these other people groups do not destroy this one who I have marked. So there's a lot of correlation between those images. So uh, before I move on, I would just like to say that that again, I'm not claiming to know what this is, but I I'm convinced personally that it's not a literal mark or a physical mark, but rather it's, it's a reflection of his position and stature with God. Does that give any ideas? Maybe you have to chew on it first.
3: Yeah, that, that that makes sense. My first thought would just be that like, he's, He's, you know, yeah, I I just always go to something visual. Like people would have to see, like, he's a priest or something walking around. They're like, oh, yeah, don't mess with that guy. He's, you know, he's one of them. But yeah, I definitely think about it.
0: Right on. So uh, let's move around the clock here to uh, Tom, considering the comments here we went over about him being a fugitive and how he's going to run, get marked. Uh, Obviously, we have what appears to be a different. Some kind of different nation, kingdom, whatever. But there's a border which appears here. I'm sure you've given this some uh, thought before. So, uh, Tom, comments on this?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think the the first thing that stands out to me is, um, you know, he's he's forced to settle in the land of Nod. So that right there, it, it tells us. Okay. Well, Nod is obviously a different um, state or nation. If we're looking at Eden uh, being being that state or nation that he was once in, and now he's he's forced out of there, and he's he's got to go east, and he's going into the land of Nod. So, um, yeah, it, it's you know it's weird. I guess I never really looked at it. Uh, you know, the way that you described it, where you're having a, obviously, if there's east, there's going to be a north, south, and a west as well. So, um, but, but yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. And then um, just to kind of piggyback on what, what Steve was saying about the, the marking, um, you know, I, th- I think everyone who has kind of read that scripture and has read uh, you know, always has questions about that. And it's like, oh man, I wonder what that is because I know I have. And, um, you know, the explanation that I think you gave uh, is, is actually a pretty good one because I think there's times in life where we, where we meet people and we meet other people and we can say to ourselves, hey man, there's some, there is something different about this person. And um, you know, it, you come to find out later. Well, yeah, they are a uh, a true believer in God and a follower of God, and that's that's why you feel the way that you feel because you 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 know that they're different. And uh, so, I don't know if that helps at all, but that that's kind of what I've grown to kind of understand, maybe. Uh, what that marking is, is just people who maybe come in contact with him and encounter him would be like, okay, yeah, there's, this guy's different. He's not like the rest of us. He's, you know, he's not a savage. He's not a, a a crazy person, so to speak. But, you know, those are just some of, some of my observations as I, as I read through there and look at that.
0: A lot of really good, interesting points there, Tom. And I think you're going to give uh, listeners a, uh, you know, a lot to chew on there. So very, very good comments, guys, so far. I'm now going to move us forward to Leith and see what he has to say concerning, you know, now we're looking at a fugitive and we have uh, this fugitive going through this land. And I'll just clarify here when it says the land of Nod nod is another terminology for wandering so it can be conflated to exile so he is kicked out of the land of eden and went into the land of wandering land of exile so obviously some kind of division taking place there and uh so just wondering your comments on these kind of things there, uh
2: it's kind of exciting um in verse 15 how you know because before it's like okay well let's If Cain has these people that in this place that don't exist, a figment of his imagination, or a fear that someone might be out there. I think in verse 15, it's very interesting that that God confirms that there are people that already exist outside of Eden. Um, When he says whoever kills Cain or whoever wants to rise up against Cain, that's a confirmation that there are already currently and present presently others at the time. Um, I think that, um, like you had mentioned about the sign, the sign that God gives Cain or the mark that God gives Cain is recognizable by these other people groups. I thought that was very interesting. Um, They recognize that it is of God and it's not like they would be, whatever the sign or the mark is, it isn't going to be a confused issue it's um something that other people recognize and um i thought that was really interesting i think that it's funny that nod was pre-named um i don't know if if it was really called nod i think dallas you just said that nod means wanderer so i don't know if that if if the if that's how the the verse decided to describe this other place or if it was like truly a nation or a place called nod that i thought that was pretty cool And I I really liked what uh, Tom brought up um, about. um, Yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say, because Tom brought up some cool stuff. Yeah, so um, I had only one question. Um, The mark that God does give Cain, um, are we supposed to interpret that as something that where Cain's, although he is exiled from the land, that he still has relationship like marked like he's mine, he belongs to me still. That was my question.
0: That is so off topic, but so amazingly relevant and a great point that I think we can diverge for a second. That's a very, very good question because what that does is on a side event here. What's really interesting is let me draw this up. We have K, we have Able or not able to back go back to adam adam who was the dust so he was a non-covenant dead man and he was brought into the covenant brought into the garden made part of the priestly order he was brought into the garden not just eden brought into the garden brought into god's presence he was a tiller of the ground a covenant man in perfect union as genesis 2 says naked and unashamed before god perfect union but from his actions and the breaking of his bond with God, he killed that relationship and was banished from that deep place of intimacy of being with God in his presence. And now his son follows in that same footsteps, rejecting law, order, and goodness by doing the most heinous thing possible, and that's bringing death, intentional death to the loved son of god and what does god do god shows him mercy that's god's response to our evil heart so that's what i'm going to lay out there for because i think that shows us the the and if we wanted to sum up the entire bible that is the summing up of the whole bible that the heart of man will fall and break And do these things, and the heart of God is to show him mercy. So I'll throw that at you, see if you have any comments to that, and if anybody else would like to jump to that, because obviously it's a little bit of a divergence, but I do think it's a very good and powerful topic.
2: I'm seeing the, with that said, I'm seeing the mark that God gives Cain and the animal skins that he gives Adam and Eve, both representing a covering. Would you say that that's accurate?
0: oh yeah i can absolutely see that for sure and how can i see that well what was the covenant the covenant was described in seven days well what is he doing here he's saying seven days right he's what we have the very first appearance of the number seven so seven represents the completed rest of god and the day you know all that stuff the satisfaction and what do we get and whoever uh, Will take vengeance upon him, it'll be sevenfold. And then his son claims seven times sevenfold. 49. Well, isn't it interesting that in the law we have seven times seven years of Sabbaths, which is 49. Then comes the year of atonement and jubilee, where all sin and debt is forgiven. Then we have Daniel prophesying. 490 years seven times seven 490 we have seventy sevens 490 then comes jesus the 50 year year of atonement in bringing an end to the legal system in eighty seventy. 70. so yes i would say that the seven here being uh, applied to cain is a heavy association with god's mercy forgiveness and promise of coming restoration.
2: Thanks for that. That's It's an incredible story. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, the numbers, uh, there is biblical numerology for all those who don't like to hear that word. We got to understand that these people lived in a culture where all things in creation, including numbers, were very significant. So before I move on, uh, that was a very interesting uh, point and conversation. If uh, Steve or Tom, you have anything you'd like to say to that, uh, feel free.
1: yeah no i mean that was you guys covered it I, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that but uh, i love what you did say though that that god is a merciful god and and that's that's how he is i mean he he showed mercy uh to cain and uh he shows mercy to us so uh, that's just really awesome
0: Awesome. So I think we're going to move on unless, uh, Steve, you had anything you wanted to say there? No, I'm good. Okay, right on. So let's move on. Uh, we got one more thing to discuss here, then we're going to conclude with the final point, which will summarize this very nicely. It says in verse 16, so as a result of this banishment and now is marked and, you know, this controversy is kind of coming to an end. And we're going to proceed now with the narrative. So we have Adam and Eve, we had Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel, God banishes him. We get this mark system put onto him. He's, he leaves this area fleeing from people's persecution and hiding and being a wanderer, a fugitive, a wanderer, a vagabond, trying to make a name for himself. And what does it say in verse 16? Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. So now the next issue, Cain has a wife. The problem with that is, where did his wife come from? It doesn't say he got her in the land of Nod, and it doesn't say that he got her in Eden. But what it does say is that That Cain has a wife. That's a big issue because if Adam and Eve at this point still haven't had Seth, and the position of the, you know, the common position of uh, we're challenging the doctrines of men, the traditions of men here, the traditional view is Adam and Eve haven't had children yet because Seth isn't born. But if they're the only people who've had children, where did this woman come from? If she came with. Uh, Cain, which makes sense to me because here we have a man who's now marked who's a lawbreaker it just seems more likely that his wife who's already attached to him would pick up and leave and go with him as opposed to a man coming into a new place with a stink attached to him with a bad story attached to him with legal issues from his prior commitments where people would be seeking out for him it's quite possibly that he's bringing with him an you know a wrong association i don't think it would be as easy to find a wife unless these people also and we can't deny they might be completely cut off however kane's response to me says he'll be fleeing he's going into the land of wandering he will be Uh, pursued throughout his fleeing time period they were also very nomadic people in that mesopotamian area so it makes sense to me that his wife would have came with them but that the points mute here or there the bigger argument is this wife he got came before seth well why is that a big deal because according to genesis 5 Adam and Eve did not have children until after Seth. They didn't have any sons or daughters till then. So Cain's wife did not come from them according to Genesis 5. And it doesn't matter if he got his wife before he left or after, because either or, that wife did not come from Adam. So we'll do uh, some comments here because I know the wife of uh, Cain gets a lot of conversation. So we'll start at the the clock here and it's steve on the top corner there uh any comments towards this wife of cain In considering you know and this goes for everybody considering the uh the understanding in genesis 5 that no children and it does say sons and daughters till after seth and we still haven't even gotten to the seth's birth yet so where did this woman come from and just wondering your comments on those things we'll start with steve
3: um, well, considering that, like the line before it saying he settled in the land of Nod, I'm going to assume that she, he met her there because he was worried about him being killed. And if I had a family, I'd say I'm worried about us being killed and God would need to mark all of us. But it only was talking about Cain. So I'm I'm just leaning towards he found a wife in Nod or somewhere else. But that's that's my take.
0: Cool. And, and like I said, it, it's definitely open because like there's no way to prove it one way or the other. But what it does still suggest is that there is a woman before the birth of Seth. So we'll move on to uh, next on the clock here is Tom comments about Cain's wife. Where did she come from in light of our understanding of Genesis 5?
1: Yeah, so I think um, just with where the scriptures you know what it says here is is it's pretty obvious to me that it's you know there's not any sisters for him to take as a wife i know i think um steve had mentioned last week that uh his wife had said something that well it was probably one of you know one of the siblings that he took as as a wife and that that to me, just the way it's laid out, there's no way that, that that can be the case. So it's it's obvious to me that, again, there are other people groups, there are other nations, there are other tribes out there, some group that, you know, for whatever reason, the Bible isn't mentioning, but it's kind of, you just have to infer uh, when, when you read it, that That there are other people out there, and that that's where the life came from, and I don't don't have any problems with with taking that stand. So that's how I see it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very favorable to both arguments because they both have very interesting theological uh, significance about which side of the fence. Yeah, came married on whether it was on the inside of the earth or the outside of the earth uh, border so it's very interesting because uh, it brings a lot of that imagery that land imagery that we saw developing around the covenant language which we'll get into in uh, further discussions in this podcast so very cool comments I'm, I'm right there with you and i agree so now uh we'll sum this up with uh, lee give you the last word on this here uh talking about uh, the wife of Cain. So considering just like the other guys, Genesis five, that no sons or daughters were given to Cain and Abe or to Adam and Eve until after Seth. And since we haven't seen Seth yet, we haven't seen the sons and daughters. So where did Cain get his wife?
2: Well, um, you've had a way of, um, getting my mind to explode into very, crazy places, (laughs) which I appreciate. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, my, my old, my old thinking and my old ways of what I've been taught lead me to what Steve said. And that is that Cain found his wife and not, but it doesn't say that that's where she came from. Just like it doesn't say that she came from anywhere else, but she obviously exists. And so the only thing I keep thinking about with that is that if genesis is a story of adam if genesis is a story of adam and his sons and if genesis is talking about the um god's covenant with him then it causes me to think well where are there other people with adam in eden in the land of eden um and so if we were to drift away from Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel being being the first people on earth if we were to drift away from that and look at the the story of the cre- of the genesis creation it's talking about the elite the royal family whereas is there a possibility that this that that's all they're talking about but in the meantime well, that's the royal family that that is leading a nation of people that already exists so that's all i can think of and that's where his wife would come up from
0: i greatly appreciate that comment and i am going to steal that term from you the royal family story that's absolutely correct i've never put it that way i haven't thought about it that way but that's exactly what this is it's the story of the king priest being established over this community, just as we see later with Israel, that you're bringing in a lot of really good ideas and stuff, and I hope the people listening uh, can understand where you're coming from. That, and if you aren't, uh, I, I will let you know that the point of this podcast is to get into the conversations that Leith just brought up, and they're very powerful to our understanding of what the Bible is trying to commute communicate to us. So yeah that was a fantastic comment and i'm definitely going to steal that uh, idea there at least uh, so there you blew my mind right back at you <laughs> so the story i'm writing this down the story of the royal family of god kingdom perfect i like that that's fantastic good job all right so now we're going to move forward from that because what we do when we skip read the next part now we actually see a divergence from the narrative of adam and eve and the next section actually goes to the cain's descendants and the story about what happens to cain after he leaves so what we're going to do is we're going to skip that story and set it aside because we don't know if that now is running concurrent with the next part of the story of adam and eve or if uh, it happens, then the next part happens, so we don't know about that. The Bible doesn't lend time to that. The narrative given to us in the Bible is Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. Abel is killed by Cain. Cain is banished and goes off and settles with his wife, or settles and finds a wife or settles with his wife. Then the narrative picks back up with Adam and Eve, and it says in verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed Abel. That is a huge, huge time statement for us, which we've all been waiting for, the arrival of Seth. Why? Because according to Genesis 5, That's the seed line, inheritance line of that royal family of the high king priest of Adam being created over this. And it goes in Genesis, we have God to Adam. And what did it say? It said in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God and he created the male and female. And when Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own image and likeness and named him Seth. Then, after the days, uh, then the days after Adam were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So, here we finally get to Seth, and now after this, we will get other sons and daughters. So, now we have the narrative. We have God created Adam, Adam and Eve had Cain, Cain was the firstborn, he was the inheritor. Then Abel was born. Cain killed Abel and was banished. Cain now can no longer inherit the kingdom of Adam. Abel can no longer uh, inherit the kingdom of Adam. Therefore, in verse 25, it says, God has appointed me another seed in place of Abel. For Cain killed him so cain's banishment caused the inheritance to transfer from him to abel but there was no abel so god replaced abel with seth and seth became adam's son that's a big deal why because it's the seed line inheritance after Seth comes, then Adam and Eve have other children that aren't part of the seed line inheritance. That's why they're not named. But that also then tells us that when Cain, he was immediately afraid of people. Seth doesn't come until after Cain. In fact, it was Cain's killing of Abel that caused the need for Seth to even exist. If Cain didn't kill Abel, then he would never have needed to be replaced. And God would never have had to appoint another seed to replace him. But because Cain became cursed and was banished, he was no longer inheritable. Abel, obviously dead, could not inherit the kingdom. But Cain was immediately afraid of other humans. Seth came after this. Seth was the replacement, but Cain was immediately afraid. So the people that Cain was immediately afraid of has nothing to do with Seth or the children Adam and Eve born after Seth. And Adam and Eve didn't have any children before Seth. Why? Because this is talking about the seed line inheritance. If there were others born, they would have been named legally. They had to in order to follow this line. Why is this a big deal? Because we go all the way forward to the New Testament with Luke and we find the genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Seth, to Adam, to the son of God, to claim Jesus's legal right to inherit that same kingdom from Adam that passed to Seth. So I said a lot there, but this is a huge turning point in the Bible because it divides the two branches And we see that same thing happen with Israel. Israel's divided into two branches. The northern tribes go into exile. Cain goes into exile. And the the single body of Adam is divided into the two bodies of Adam. Israel was a single body divided into two. Exile and the faithful remnant. So I'm going to put this forward for us to have this conversation. And I'm going to start, but this time I'll go in, uh, uh, well, no, we'll, we'll keep going the same. It works. Uh, who was in clockwise? It was Steve. Steve, I'm going to set you up for the first comment here. So, obviously, Seth was appointed to replace Cain and Abel, but Cain was immediately afraid of people. So, he obviously is not afraid of someone who isn't born yet or the people who aren't born after him yet. So what are your comments on this revelation about why Seth was even bored?
3: I mean, the only thing I can, I mean, I'm still in line with the overall thinking that it's just Cain, Abel, Seth, but like maybe they just ignore females and they didn't, just didn't, because a female can't be a seed to the lineage or whatnot. So they're just like, so that could lead back to, you know, Cain took one of his sisters, I guess they just ignore that. But we'd never know because it's not in there. So,
0: Okay, that's a good point. Now, let me ask you this before uh, we move on, because people make that comment saying they don't label the girls, the women. However, when we read five, Genesis 5, uh, 3, this is what it says. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. But then what does it say in verse 4? Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth for 800 uh, years, and he had other sons and daughters. So it does say daughters. It actually identifies them quite clearly, but they didn't come till after Seth. So why would it say here daughters, but exclude them beforehand? That doesn't make logical sense. If there were daughters there, they would have been mentioned. Here they're mentioned in the genealogy where they're supposed to be mentioned, but they're mentioned after seth so i'll put that towards you do you have comments in light of those scriptures
3: i mean yeah i don't other than they just didn't they just left some things out but yeah i mean i'm following i just it could go either way i guess just perspective but yeah i i don't think it's that big a deal personally like I, i i think it's pretty established that you know there's other people besides him, where his wife came from. So that's what's most important to me.
0: Okay, let me put this, que- this uh, question towards you. If Adam isn't the very first human, this is why I'm going to suggest it's a big deal. If Adam wasn't the very first human, if we roll forward, we read Paul saying that sin entered the world through Adam. That means sin didn't enter the world through one man. And it spread to all humans because there were humans living before Adam. And that must mean there were humans living before Adam that were perfect, 100% righteous. They were all Christ. They were all Jesus' perfection until Adam came and destroyed it all. Or it means everybody else was living in the same manner that we see, like, say, Israel, where there was a bunch of people out of covenant and Israel was in covenant. So does this suggest that Eden was the covenant nation surrounded by non-covenant people, just as we see duplicated with Israel? So when we take a look and we kind of compare those pictures, uh, what we see is if Adam isn't the originator of sin for all of humans, how can sin be attributed to non-Adam descendants? It changes everything because If it was Adam or sin, so Romans, it says in Adam, all sinned, and in Christ, all were uh, all transgressions were forgiven. Well, what about all those people that existed before Adam? They weren't. So you see how it completely changes the context of who the Bible is talking to, because it's never talking to the surrounding nations. Well, then why does the Bible talk in grandiose terms of all man? So it opens a big cat of worms to me because you can't have Adam being the source, the very first human, and because of his sin, as children incurred sin and we're all his children, while at the same time, other humans existing before Adam. So that's why to me it's a big issue. Does that uh, make it an issue in that to you because of what that affect for the rest of the Bible? Or does that not seem like a big issue to you?
3: I mean, I, uh, when I hear that, it kind of, I mean, I guess I need to, you know, I don't want to be ignorant here because I don't know exactly all these stories. But, like, it just seems like the world to them is the world of, you know, Eden here, this this place that's blocked off from wherever else. And, you know, the other world, it's not really a world, you know, it's like, I just think of, you know, everybody lives in their own world, you know, everybody's in their own Thing. and you know they do their own thing so when they say you know adam brought sin into this world, yeah they, he did he brought it into the eden world it wasn't there now all of a sudden it's here now you brought this disease or whatever that's all these other nations have or all these other people you know it's like is human you know a, a different word than we think like maybe they're humans in eden and not humans in Outside
0: of it, I don't know, could, you know. Who knows where this could go? I love your what you're doing, bantering that there. I think it was fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna uh, give this one scripture for people to consider. Your words and consider these scriptures, and then uh, we'll move on. Uh, in Romans five, verse uh, twelve, and we'll read just a couple verses down here. This is why it's a big issue to me, is because. If Adam was the source of sin, but not all humans come from Adam, then not all humans are under sin. That's a big issue. And let me show why. Because it says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. Now, what's interesting is he says right here, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, people in the traditional Stance say that this means that Adam being the first human being ever created his sin has passed to all human beings And now all human beings are sinners. And that's why Jesus came to save all human beings Now what's neat is as we keep going uh, that then would radically radically change that position because if other humans existed at the time of Adam and before Adam then Adam wasn't the first man as they're using it. So that would change everything. Why? Because this Jesus man did not come. It changes everything. It becomes a different Messiah. He changes the message because it's no longer all of mankind, all of humans. Because in the beginning, if Adam was the source of sin for all humans, you, I think you see the contradiction, like that you can't marry the two. Either Adam is the beginning of all humans and where sin comes from, and we're all under that. But you can't have that while other humans exist around them. So it, it's a paradox. It's a contradiction. Or we realize that the sin that started with Adam is where you're taking it has nothing to do with any other people's. So that opens up another can of worms and a divergence, but a very important and needed to discuss topic. So thank you for your comments, Steve. We'll move on to Tom here, and I'll just set that back up again. So we've just read that now we have Cain and Abel. We have Abel killed Cain. Cain is now banished. Adam and Eve need a, a, a hereditary son. And now Seth is born. And now we get the timeline. Now other children, other sons, now sons and daughters are born to Adam and Eve. So therefore... Who was Cain afraid of? Because Adam and Eve didn't have any other children till after Cain was already out. I'll ask you to speak to that, Tom. No, it looks like Tom's busy at the moment here. Uh, Leith, would you be able to speak to that at the moment?
2: Yes. Yeah, and so that's why this whole man thing, I'm glad that you brought that up with Steve about what man is, because as we study man, it just seems like man has been shown to be the name that God gave Adam um, and not necessarily humankind. Um, We look at words like mankind, which is the kind of man, of the same kin of man, which would be, covenant man. Um, And even in the creation story at the beginning, you think, you know, everything was multiplying, you know, according to its own kind. Um, So I don't know, I thought stuff is very interesting, which which still makes my brain get pointed to, or points my brain to the idea that Adam, Cain, Abel, and Seth were covenant man, and we're talking about a family line um you said that and Cain. yes was immediately afraid after the banishment he was uh immediately worried and he's the first son of adam um so is so is he worried about other family members or is he worried about um just other humans
0: other people um Uh, and it would be future family members because at that point if seth hadn't been born Yes. They would have to still wait for so Cain, that's what I'm saying. That that that's a silly notion that Cain yeah. was afraid, possibly that at some time in the future, maybe these children, after they raised up for you know a couple decades, might want retribution.
2: It would be a silly thing to be afraid of at the time.
0: Yeah, in the manner it's stressed. Yes, absolutely. Sorry to jump in, you were just making that interesting point. Yeah.
2: And um, and so it's cool because. Um, uh, and then also this this older slash younger son idea is is setting up for just a lot of stuff we read in the future about like in Romans, I think somewhere um, it talks about the older serving the younger when he's talking about Rebecca. Jacob I lo- and I loved and Esau I hated Jacob was the younger son. We you think about Joseph being the youngest of the twelve there and his dream and all the older bowing down to him and his dream um just really really cool stuff in there man
0: awesome i, I appreciate the comments We're I, I think we're starting to kind of round this picture out here uh everyone you know whether we're still battling with the tradition we were taught We can't deny what we're seeing so Tom you get the final word here I saw you're having a little uh, connection difficulty if uh, you're good to go uh, Give us your comments here on now Seth is in the picture now the other children the other sons and daughters can be born Why was he so deathly afraid before Seth was even born?
1: Yeah, okay. Can you hear me now?
0: Sounds perfect. Sounds actually better than before (laughs)
1: Good, good. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, i was sorry. I was having some technical difficulties here, and I am going to have to run here pretty soon. So, um, well, we've given
0: you the final word on the stage. So, uh, knock it out of the park, my friend.
1: Oh my gosh, I, I hope I don't blow it.
0: <laughs> no, uh,
1: <laughs> you know it, it's 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 really. Uh, I'm glad you went to that Romans. Um, uh, what was it? Five? Is that what's. Um,
0: yes it was romans five
1: yeah um yeah because you know you and i have talked alice i come from the the reformed background uh from theological perspective so you know and and one of the uh, you know reform tradition follows tulip which uh you know that's an acronym for well i can go through all of them but i'm not going to but l is Stands for limited atonement, right? So, uh, that there's an interesting point that you brought up about you know, uh, did sin enter the in all of humanity through Adam, or is it really just his line that was affected? Um, because the same thing from a reform perspective, when you're looking at limited atonement, is that it's you know, the that Christ died for those that he was going to save. And so it uh, necessarily isn't for all of humanity. It's, it's that, that line, that lineage that, um, that, it, that he's here to separate. I think, I think that's what we've got going on here is you've got a covenant people and you have a non-covenant people. So uh, when, when Cain is banished and he's pushed out of Eden, uh, who's he afraid of? He's uh, I, don't, I don't know that he's necessarily afraid of his own covenant people, but he might be. Um, but more than likely, it's probably the non-covenant people who who don't understand or don't uh, follow the, the same, uh, you know, life, life uh, lifestyle or, or um, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I guess it, it's it's. uh you know, those may rules and regulations or what have you. Uh, of, how would you family respond
0: family? to that, Tom? If I could interject for a second, how would sure, you respond to the comment? But when Cain went off into the land of Nod, him and his descendants became very successful and actually became dominant figures, giants in the land and becoming inventors and creators, they became the producers of food and cattle. The procreator, the, the, the people who made lodging easy for the people. You can go and read this in Genesis sure, 4. Sure. They even had the entertainment coming out of there, the musicians out of his line. So Cain actually became a mighty kingdom in the land of oh, there, Nod. So and there's no I'll just throw that out Chad.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think, uh, you know, and, and that's part of the marking that that God did because it's... it's uh, He's still not removed from the lineage, right? I mean, he's he's being pushed out, but he's still uh, part of Adam's seed, correct? So, um, yeah, it's 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 him going out into that into that world, and essentially, uh, God just continuing to bless him as.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this conversation has been a really cool conversation because it does have a very big impact in, in our world. Like, If we can apply, like, Tom, if you want to talk about how that Romans 5 and how the sin connecting with Genesis, why would that be such a big Hit because I'm going to lean on your master's of divinity. If you were to take this view into that class and say, did sin start with Adam and it's only applicable then to Adam's race or is this the other humans? Like, what difference does that make to you and me? How would you answer that question?
1: Oh, man. Um, um, you know, I, I'm my thinking is that obviously all people can be included into god's family um so i'm i'm not you know again while i went back to the reformed view of the way they look at uh kind of the salvation issue or what have you um my thing is when i read the bible and i i read romans and i read some of the other scriptures, we, you know, where it's talking about uh, that you're uh, being grafted in uh, to the family of God. So to me, I think anybody um, can be in the presence of God and, and be a covenant person, even when they were once outside. So um, that, that's kind of the way I see it. But hey, Dallas, um, I, I don't. I'm I'm gonna have to run, dude. <laughs> so
0: hey, I appreciate it. That that's the perfect ending. That summarizes where we're going. We're a little bit over time anyway. Uh, I right. wanted to just give everybody an opportunity to speak to these things, and I want to thank you guys all for uh, your time. Uh, I know you guys have lots to do, but I think we all enjoy this uh, conversation. I think uh, we've pretty much nailed it down from as far as. We don't really have much more to go on as far as the specific topic. Are there humans before Adam? As far as, obviously, we can see many other conversations that are going to surround these verses. But as far as, are there humans before Adam? Well, I think if we read very closely and without a predetermined position, According to Genesis 5, as we summarized in the last uh, conversation, and according to uh, Genesis 4, the narrative that we read there, it's only logical that there are other people in that story. Otherwise, it really is just a made-up, disconjointed idea of the first human was put into a world surrounded by other people, but there weren't other people. So it becomes a very disjointed and hard to establish story versus what seems to be a clearly obvious and a clearly sensible narrative that we're reading. And I'm gonna steal this of the story of the royal family of this God kingdom. So I wanna thank uh Steve and uh, Leith for that. And uh if one of you guys would like to uh give us a little bit of a prayer to close up this session uh covering um let's see here the humans before adam genesis 5 genesis 4 with allusions to romans 5 and we also talked obviously genesis 1 2 and 3. so those were our sources for this little bit of a conversation uh leith are you uh, or steve either one give me a hands up does somebody want to pray Perfect. Go ahead and uh, close us off here for the night. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, next week we will have a fresh new topic. Haven't 100% decided what we will do. We will see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're really excited to be here. This was a much cleaner event. I'll hand it off to Leith here as uh, we thank the Lord for what He's done in our lives.
2: Father God, you um, your pursuit of us is just its mind-blowing, and we just feel loved by you. I just thank you that you did preserve your word that we can go through so that we can discover what might be a mystery to us, but never was meant to be a mystery, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to get into the mind of some of these older writings. And Father, I just pray that as we go on this journey that um, we can take our thoughts and, and use them as tools but um, but we but we don't rely heavily too heavily on tradition, Father. But that we can really just seek the truth, Father. I thank you for this group of gentlemen. I thank you for the listeners that might be here. I just pray that your work, that your hand is in this project, and I just pray that it is blessed in every way, and and that it will just utterly and honor you, and just um, it will honor you in every way. Um, We're excited about this. And again, Father, thank you for this opportunity.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Dallas. Dallas. Thanks, Dave. Amen. Uh, Thank you guys for showing up. And thank you for taking the time and participating in this conversation about God. Wherever you are, I hope this finds you well. God bless. Have a good week.